When I approached the easternmost mouth to Chambrooks, I found Reed already kneeling by it. She'd found a few things scattered here, discarded food wrappers, a battery, and an open water bottle that she turned upside down and emptied into the dirt. Still some inside, she said. They were here, Shaw. This is the place. This entrance to the caverns of Chambrooks, interestingly, was small enough that only one of us at a time could fit through the gap. But, after a bit of wrestling past the root and stone, the canal yielded and opened up into a proper cave chamber. I entered it first and looked around. The dimensions of the place were impossible to calculate. My flashlight failed to find any edge or even the ceiling of it, but it seemed like the whole mountain had been hollowed out to accommodate the vastness of these halls. Reed joined me only moments later, and she stood up to her feet as she looked around herself. Hard to believe a place like this went unnoticed for so long, she said after a time. How big do you think it is? People have been reporting updrafts for miles around here, so big. Really damn big. I thought it was confined to the mountain. We thought it was. Then someone found an entrance to it out near Gardersdale two or three weeks back. Shit. Gardersdale? That's like 30 miles away. Yeah, I know. And it could be even bigger than that. We began searching the mouth of the place for more clues as we spoke. You know the old Davis Caverns? One's out by Lakewood? used to go there on field trips. Me too, but some people are saying those are actually connected to Chambrooks somehow. Probably via some passage nobody's even found yet. I looked in vain under a hooked formation of stone for anything of interest. And those are like, what, 70 miles away? Damn. There was silence for a bit as we began our walk, but after a time she said, So what do you think happened to these guys? Creepy uncle just drags his niece in here. For what? I don't know. I helped her through a tight passage as we exited the opening chamber and followed her through. Apparently they go on little adventures like this all the time together, but they're usually little afternoon outings, you know? Back by nine type of things. And how long have they been in here? 26 hours. We walked for some time after that and the deeper into the cavern we roamed, the more magnificent it became. Soon, the endless scape of rock and stone had glowing plant life added to its number. There were mushrooms and small shrubs of varieties I'd never before seen catalogued, and so bright was the collective bioluminescence that in the passages that contained them, Reed and I shut off our flashlights. She snapped photographs of the things as we passed them by, But the curious flora was far from the only thing to be found in Chambrooks that stole our breath. About two hours into our search, we found a new chamber of utterly unspeakable size. It stretched far off into the darkness at its northern side, and at its base, it featured a small patch of woods upon a hill kept alive both by a sunbeam that filtered in through a hole in the top of the ceiling and by a river that split the floor down the middle that was itself fed by a waterfall pouring in from the westernmost wall of the place. We spent as much time there as the assignment could afford before moving on. Shaw, take a look at this. I left my unfruitful corner of the chamber I'd been searching and ran to her side. What is it? Look. She handed me a notebook page covered in dirt on which words had been scribbled. I took the thing 
and she provided the flashlight. And together, we read it in silence. Today, after months of scouting out these halls, I am at last confident enough to bring along with me my niece, Meredith. She is none the wiser about the nature of this expedition, and neither are her parents. So trusting of me they have become. But it is no matter. Soon all of them will know why it is necessary. There was a pause before Reed looked up and said, Wait, did this Graham guy just abduct the girl? I thought they had a good relationship. I did too. You think she's in danger? We wouldn't be here if she wasn't, and before Reed could respond, I knelt down and picked up a small piece of paper that had been discarded on the floor. Then I looked up and forward and saw another such piece, and another, and another, leading to the end of this chamber and beyond, past where the thick darkness consumed everything a short ways off. It's a trail. Come on, the paper trails took us deeper and deeper and deeper still into the depths of chambers. In some of the chambers through which Reed and I passed, there again were those glowing plants, and we walked with ease. But in most of the tunnels, it was suffocatingly dark. Even with our flashlights, we tripped and stumbled and felt around the walls with our free hand. The rocks here were sharp and tall and wide. Some hung low. Others jutted out to the cavern floor. Others forced us to shimmy in between them. And still, others seemed to leap up at us out of the darkness itself. We moved slowly, and we moved deliberately. But always, there was more paper to follow. After another hour of such frustrated movement, Reed stopped and knelt and picked up another full page. Look here. Another one. And we read it in the same fashion as before. Meredith has grown restless and inquisitive. I love the girl. I love her dearly, in fact, and wish I could answer her questions about our destination and purpose for coming here with honesty. But I cannot bring myself to do that. All I have to comfort me in this place is the knowledge that her pain, when it begins, will run its course swiftly. Mine will linger. But that is the price I must pay. This is not at all what they made it sound like when we took this job. I know. There was a heavy pause before she said, He's gonna hurt her, isn't he? Yes. From that point forward, both the nature of our job and the nature of the cave itself took on a macabre quality. No longer was this place the destination of a mere ill-fated spelunking trip. It was a place, I felt, where horrible things had either happened or were about to happen. And still, despite this new urgency to rescue the girl, we could only move at the pace allowed by the cavern itself. That same slow, torturous, plodding rate of speed, tripped up by all manner of rock and stone and low-hanging things. And long periods of such advancement were broken up only by the finding of paper crumbs. But it was another hour before we found the next full page in the floor of the first wide-open chamber we'd seen in some time. This time it was Reed who held and illuminated the note while together we read its contents. Meredith's resistance to my instruction has now exceeded mere words. She has now actively tried to escape. I caught her with ease, of course, and her pounding fists upon my back as I hauled her deeper into chambers are of little concern, but still it breaks my heart. 
Her faith in me, her dear uncle, has been destroyed. Over and over I tell her, although without much success in calming her, Worry not, little one, worry not. The god of the deep will see you soon, and he will. Gal ish mortis septs suthet. Gal ish mortis wolfengrang. Wolfengrang? The god of the deep? But I didn't respond to that. Already, I'd moved on to something far more otherworldly and every bit as unnerving as the contents of that page. Read, I said after a time. Look at this. And when she joined me, I shined my flashlight across a great stone formation that marked the far end of that chamber. There stood tall and fast a massive wall of stone that was far too smooth to have been a naturally occurring formation, except in regards to the ancient carvings that graced its upper and lowermost edges, and the pillars spaced at flawless intervals, and the threshold of a great door at its center. Looks like we're not the first to find this place after all. We observed the wall for a time more before I added. I mean, how far down are we? A mile? Two? At least. Shaw, something like this must have been built when this place was closer up to the surface. That means thousands and thousands and thousands of years ago. Likely before the mountain formed. Maybe before recorded civilization itself. I said nothing to that. There were no words to be said at such a thought. We only inspected the wall some more and snapped photographs of it. And then, in through the great door we went. I have arrived, read the next page we found on the floor of the mighty hall of whatever place we'd entered. At last I have found the lost halls of Sul Caliph, a temple of the slumbering dread. I bring sacrifice to this place in the name of Suthet. Awake from your slumber and walk again upon the earth. There's that word again. Wolfengrom. Graham seems to think there's some sort of god that lives in this place. And look here. She held up the note to me, and by the light of my flashlight, I read the indicated passage. With sacrifice. Shaw, I think he brought Meredith here to kill her. I know, and I think she's the one who's been ripping his notebook apart and leaving a trail so someone would find her. Then I looked up and around the place in which we stood and said, The Temple of Sul Galif. Is that where we are now? I don't know. Together, we shone our flashlights around the place and saw more walls stretching up past where the light beams could reach. In the center of the ceiling was a curious and monstrous contraption, and on the walls there were great carvings that told a tale. We looked at each other, then stepped forward to get a better look. The first image etched into the stone nearest the door seemed to be of a clawed hand descending from a storm cloud and releasing upon the earth six terrible and monstrous creatures. Around where the beasts fell were men in cloaks and masks who appeared to be worshipping the great hand. Reed and I paused on this image for a time before she said, Looks like some kind of ancient, evil god sending his demons to earth. Maybe that's the hand of this Suthith thing Graham's got going on. I don't know. Possibly. And maybe Graham fancies himself as one of these guys here, I said, and I pointed to the picture of the cult with their upstretched arms. Reed concurred. After another moment of inspection, we moved to the second picture 
a short ways to the right of the first. This one depicted what appeared to be the same beast bringing great cities to ruin and slaying with ease the armies that were dispatched to destroy them. Urging them forward from the rear was the same cult from the first carving, and they in turn seemed to be commanded by another masked figure who stood on a hill and who was himself being puppeted by the hand. Looks like some kind of great war. More like a massacre. And we moved forward, but the third image, now on the next wall to the right of that with the door, depicted the rising up of a new force of men. They were depicted as heroes. That much was apparent from the style of the carvings, and they warred with the cults of the Great Hand. In the fourth image they appeared to defeat the cult, and in the fifth, on the wall opposite from the one through which we'd entered, was depicted the building of the great facilities used to house the six beasts. Shaw? Reed said after a time. Shaw, I don't think this place is a temple at all. I think it's a prison. For what? Maybe for that Vuthengrong thing. I think it's one of the monsters on that wall. The paper trail continued, through that chamber and out the wall on the opposite end and out into the labyrinthine series of titanic halls and connecting rooms that constituted what I assumed to be the bulk of whatever facility this was. Many of the rooms and hallway walls bore carvings, although none quite so grand as to what we'd seen in the grand first room, of men and battles against the cults of the Great Hand. Some of them, though, depicted one of those monsters, a writhing arachnid of what appeared to be simply enormous size. Further carvings we passed by as we walked along the trail showed the same beast battling the heroes shown in the first room and who likely built this place from what Reed and I could understand. And the final such mural we saw depicted the vanquishing of this beast, likely the very same Wolfengrong mentioned in Graham's diary of sorts and its subsequent imprisonment in a great dungeon. Reed and I said nothing but exchanged glances at each development in turn, but before much longer we stopped. Up ahead we heard the shriek of a young girl and then a man's voice and we saw what appeared to be flickering of firelight on the walls. Suthet! The voice cried. I seek audience with you! Carefully and deliberately, Reed and I inched our way forward, communicating not even in whispers, but in sweeps of hand and facial cues and other such subtle signals. Hear me, Suthet! Said the voice again. Your servant brings you tribute! When we reached the wall separating us from the next chamber over, we planted our backs against it, and prepared to enter with maximum surprise, but just before we did, a new voice came, and again we stopped. It said, Why hast thou not come alone? And so deep, and so thick, and so filled with malice was that voice that my heart ceased to beat for a moment. From the looks of it, Reed felt similarly. I have brought you tribute, Great One! came the man's voice in turn. She is... <coughs> but before he finished that sentence, there was coughing and hacking and choking. I peeked around the corner, and Reed looked too. The room there consisted of not more than a mighty pit, but that pit was of utterly incomprehensible size and presumable depth, and so too were the dimensions of the chamber that housed it. 
how an ancient and prehistoric race of men had built something with such an architectural integrity and such precision simply astounded me. But there, in the middle of the floor, before the pit, was a man. David Graham, I assumed him to be. He was indeed choking and coughing and crawling about on the ground with the use of the arm that wasn't clawing at his throat. Beside him on the stone floor was a bloodied knife, and the girl too, who clutched her lacerated hand with the good one and scrambled away from her uncle as he writhed. The other voice spoke then, but to my disgust and shock, it did so through him. No, not her. It said, as it spoke, Graham's jaw did not move at all, but instead hung open by the jaw. As Suthet's words slithered through, There are others in this place. Why hast thou not come alone? And then he was released from that grip, and Graham fell to the floor and gasped for air and drank it in in gulps. Suthet! He wheezed at last. Forgive me, great one. I seek only to release your thirdborn, Wolfengrong, from this prison. I don't know. I the voice of the hand filled him yet again and said, Behind thine back. And Graham whirled around and saw in the threshold of the door, Reed and myself. He then opened his jaw to a hideously unnatural degree. Matthew Shaw, said the voice. Elizabeth Reed, what seekest thou in this with no further use for stealth, the two of us stepped from the shadows and forward, displaying by our open palms that we came unarmed. I then said, with a tremble, I failed to hide. We're here for the girl, okay? Give her to us and we'll leave. We don't want any trouble. Meredith still looked too horrified to do much more than stare, but Reed stepped then in her direction and smiled at her as if to say, It's okay. You're safe. But that was far from a foregone conclusion. Graham then spoke in his own voice to us. Who are you? How did you, how did you find me here? You did all the work scouting this place out, and your niece here was smart enough to leave a trail for us. I held up one of the pages from his notebook, and when he saw the thing, he scrambled for the pad in his own pocket. He then pulled it up and counted the missing pages and the torn ones. He then turned to his niece. Bitch! He screamed, and then he lunged for her, but both Reed and I flew in between them as Meredith screamed again and cried, me in front of her and closest to the charging Graham. Before he could stop, I threw my fist into his face, and he fell unceremoniously to the floor. And then the voice again wreathed itself in Graham. It said, Mortal filth. A servant of mine, you're not. Your tribute is unworthy. And again, the voice released him. Graham now spoke on his own and cried out to the ceiling. No, no, Suthet, please don't forsake me in this place. Your thirdborn sleeps in this temple, does he not? The others of your order seek the awakening of the other dreads as we speak. From what I hear, your secondborn, Vithering, has already been awoken in the sea. The moonlit dawn is upon us. Let me play my part. Allow me to redeem my foolishness in service of you, Great One, and awaken Wolfengram in this temple. As we watched, the voice again consumed the essence of David Graham and said through him, I require a proper blood sacrifice. Fetch for me this, and I shall grant thine request. Graham stood up again, 
and after spending a moment to ruminate on those instructions, grabbed the knife up from the floor and slowly advanced in the direction of Reed and Meredith and myself. Graham, I said. Listen, I don't know what that thing was, but you don't have to do this. Just put the knife down and we can all walk out of here together, okay? No one has to get hurt here. You, you heard the Great One. He demands a proper sacrifice. This isn't a temple, Graham. Didn't you see the carvings? It's a prison for whatever lies in that... Shut up! Just shut up! I've come too far to just... But I lunged at him first and tackled him and grabbed the wrist of the hand that held the knife. Meredith screamed, Reed screamed, Graham shouted, and I gripped my teeth as the pair of us rolled around the floor near the edge of the pit. With one hand still holding down his armed hand, I planted my knee in his chest below the throat and threw my fist into his face once, twice, three times. He spat blood but showed no signs of submission. Instead, he shrieked, Suthet! Suthet! Help me! But Suthet never came. It was just me and him, rolling and wrestling near the edge of the mighty hole in the stone. Eventually, I wrenched the knife free and tossed the thing into the pit. But when I sacrificed my focus to do that, Graham socked me in the jaw with his free hand, and backwards I reeled. Then it was him on me, and he wrapped his hands around my throat and screamed and throttled. I felt my vision blur and darken as I struggled. In the background, as I faded, I heard three things. One was Meredith screaming and crying with her back planted against the far wall. The second was Graham himself saying, Here, Suthet, see my service. Accept this sacrifice and release your thirdborn. But the third wasn't Suthet's response. It was pounding footsteps, and then Graham looked in their direction. He had not even a second to process the sight of Reed charging at him before he received a knee to the nose. The impact sent him tumbling off me and over to the edge. He flailed and he gasped and he reached for a grip, but he found none, and over the edge of the pit he went as he screamed. I gasped for breath as Reed and I crawled to the edge. We saw him falling, falling, falling some more, before we heard a bizarre squish, and then a brief silence. And then, from the bottom of the pit we heard, in Suthet's voice now, Well done. I find this tribute worthy. And he laughed, a deep, <laughs> guttural bellow into which the already dead Graham threw his back. And then there was a deep-set rumbling in the depths of the earth that grew only louder and louder and more powerful as it went. Before long, the whole place shook and heaved and tossed itself back and forth and back again, and bits of rock fell from the ceiling in showers, and neither Reed nor Meredith nor myself could find it in ourselves to stand upright and stay upright for the duration of the earthquake. But over the din of it, I heard Reed say, This whole fucking place is gonna fall apart! Come on! And she grabbed me and pulled me to my feet, and she ran then to Meredith and did the same to her and out the door the three of us went. I stole a look behind me as we fled, and saw a hair-covered leg the size of a small building reach up out of the pit and plant itself with breathtaking force on the surface where we'd been not a minute earlier. Then came another leg, and another, and another. As we ran, and as I watched it, we passed under the great hallway arch depicting the imprisoning of exactly such a creature a mammoth arachnid of truly incomprehensible vastness that had slept in that pit for uncountable millennia. Come on! 
Reed said as the three of us thundered down the hall, but behind us, Wolfengrong had already emerged in its entirety from the depths of its prison and given chase. It was a hideous, treacherous-looking thing. It had bulging, nearly human skin and a sextet of night-black eyes and coarse hair as sharp and formidable as spears. Its footfalls shook the whole of the earth, and although the walls were large enough to accommodate its size, many doorways that separated those halls were not. Yet even so, it smashed through them with ease. So powerful was its momentum and sent the stones hurling. On several such occasions, we had to dodge pillars of stone as they fell nearly on top of our heads. But then we passed under the arch, depicting the vanquishing of exactly this creature. I remembered much of it from our first pass-through, and what details I missed then I gained now. That fight had occurred, I realized, in the main hall in which we'd entered. Read, I said as we ran, and in between shallow breaths. But she only said back, Come on! and continued her run with Meredith's hands in hers. Read! And then she did turn, evidently stunned that I'd chosen this time among all others to converse with her, but I ignored her irritation. We'll never outrun that thing, I said. Well, what the fuck do you suggest? The main room, the contraption, remember? We don't have time for this. Reed, listen to me. Do you remember the contraption in the main room or don't you? She thought for a moment as we passed under a new arch and down a flight of stairs. Behind us, Wolfengrong smashed through a series of walls. After dodging more debris, she responded, y Yeah, I think so. I think that's how we kill this thing. What the hell do you mean, kill it? Look at the size of that thing! I turned around, and as if on cue, the great spider destroyed yet another wall and reared up as if to pounce. Its underside was even more mangled and hideous than the rest of it. It was filled with writhing sacks and pulsing growths of undeterminable purpose that stunk of all rot and disease and the scars of a thousand battles and more. At its back was a stinger that dripped black with venom. I know, I said as we swept through an alcove and tore towards the very room in which the contraption was set. But I'll say it again, that's why we can't outrun it. But one of those arches showed that contraption being used to stop this thing. Just then, we broke into the open of that room with the great carvings. Ahead of us was the door and escape, perhaps, and not more than a thousand feet behind us thundered Wolfengrong, and to our right now was a great staircase that led up to a platform on which that strange contraption sat. I looked up at the thing, a great bow or a ballista from the looks of it, with a loaded bolt the size of a building and then back down at Reed and Meredith. Get her out of here, okay? Reed turned without stopping her flight and called out. Wh what Get her out of here! I said again. What the fuck are you doing? Killing a dread. This place wasn't just meant to trap it. And I ran for the steps and launched myself up them two at a time. Damn it, Shaw! We don't have time! But she never finished that sentence. Just then, Wolfengrong tore through the last of the walls separating us from itself. I shouted once again to Reed, Go, goddammit, move! And finally she did. She grabbed a howling Meredith, and together they fled through the great door through which we'd entered. Just as I reached the top of the platform, I ran my hands over the mighty weapon and found its grip and its trigger. Already the shot was loaded. All right, now what? And just then I found the wheel on the side of the thing, used to turn and aim it, and gripped it by the handle and began to spin it counterclockwise. Slowly the thing turned and dipped. 
Wolfengrong, for its part, had noticed me, and fortunately given up its chase of the two girls. Instead, it reared up on its monstrous hind legs and bellowed so loud my eardrums nearly shattered. But by the time it begun to charge, it was too late. The great arrow was already aimed at its midsection. Come on, you son of a bitch! And I pulled the string I assumed to be the trigger, and with a deafening thump, the arrow was shot. It took only a moment to find its target, and when it did, it impacted the beast with such a stunning force that it lost all its footing, and the whole of its mass was thrown backwards into what was left of the wall it destroyed to get here. It howled again, a breathtaking, audible force that again nearly deafened me, and then writhed and did its unworthy best to dig out the bolt from its heart. Meanwhile, I wasted no time at all. I flew down the steps even faster than I descended them, three or four at a time, often leaping and not stepping. And when I reached the ground, and just as the beast was throwing itself against the pillars holding up the ceiling, I took off across the stone floor and threw myself out the door of the place. Behind me, as I landed on the floor of Chambricks, I heard more thunderous crashes. And then the wall splintered and chipped and crumbled and fell with all its architectural majesty. But it was no matter. This place had served its purpose. I closed my eyes and began to breathe. Behind me, I heard two pairs of footsteps running away. It took us another four hours to exit the cave. Fortunately, we'd left the paper trail behind for exactly that purpose. And when it ended, we were close enough to the mouth of the caves to find our way out. We exited the place just before dawn and began our walk back to the truck, parked another quarter mile away. Thanks. What's that? Just wanted to say thank you, Meredith said. For getting me out of there. Hey. Yeah, of course. That's why we went in there. I know. Still, though. Thank you. And before we could respond, she went digging in her side pocket. After a moment, she took out another page from the notebook. I kept this one. Thought it was interesting. But maybe you guys can use it. She then handed us the thing, and we unfolded it. The Slumbering Dread, a song of the Order of Suthet. In waves and rocks and stone they lie, deep beneath the ground. Men will search, but in vain die, before dreads will be found. Far away from men they fled, when ancient they became. But soon will rise the slumbering dread, to set the world aflame. Woe to those who heed these not, names of those who sleep. Uthrin, dread of the mountaintops, Vilthring, ocean deep. Vothengrang, within the cave, and Rothkarl, hid by frost. Griffinrol, dread neath the wave, and Belfring, forest lost. But one, there is no such home, who lives among the dead, whose realm is graves and catacombs. Hail Suthit, Eldest Dread.